There's also, you know, in the world that I work in, we often talk about big T trauma and then little T trauma. And big T trauma is, you know, sort of known as post-traumatic stress disorder. And we hear about that a lot. You know, that's what we hear often with like veterans or someone who's had, you know, sort of a life-threatening experience, things like that. Um, and then there's little T trauma. And, and, I, and this is where I think understanding it on a physiological level really matters. And, and little T trauma is really anything that feels disturbing and we haven't fully processed. That was Andy Kolber. She's a therapist and she has done a ton of studying about the effect that trauma has on our bodies and how our bodies keep track of traumas in far different ways than we do our normal memories. And I found our conversation so fascinating and so helpful because I'm the kind of person when I experience a trauma, even if it's a small one, I just wanna keep moving, I wanna keep cranking. I mean, I will, I will deal with it, I will do my work, but I, I think I, I underestimate the, love, the, the impact that it has on me. So this is such a great interview. Enjoy Andy Kolber. Well, hi, Andy. Welcome to This Good Word. I'm in Minneapolis. You are in Colorado outside of a Qdoba. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. Yes. Welcome to This Good Word. We're so, I am so excited um, to have Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's so good. I love what you're doing here, Steve, and I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I almost, I haven't called it a series based on the people I've met at the festival. <laughs> And writing, but I swear to you, my podcast has become the list of new friends that I've made at the festival. So you are one of those people. I remember we we met in the lobby of some building, and immediately uh, I was so intrigued when I heard you the way that you talked about uh, trauma and trauma recovery and how it relates to the body. Uh, those are things that I've thought about. My wife and I have talked about quite a bit. Uh, and so I was like, okay, we need, you need to be on the podcast. Oh man. Well, thanks. Well, I appreciate that. You kind of um, were so kind to me as I just sort of marched up to, up to you. Cause I was like, this, this is a person I need to say hi to. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate your graciousness. Oh my gosh. It was so awesome. <laughs> um, well, and we're Instagram buddies, you know, so, you know, we had totally. to, you know, we had to, we had to recognize that. Um, mm -hmm. okay. So, uh, first of all, Andy, uh, trauma is such actually a big word, and, and I think mm -hmm. we misunderstand it. So could you define, could you tell me your definition of trauma? Yeah, no, I think that's a good starting place. So the way that I define trauma is when something occurs that overwhelms our nervous system and coping skills, ca causing um, our body, um, essentially our amygdala, to go off in our fight, flight, or freeze mechanism um, goes off in our body. But because we are overwhelmed by what we are experiencing, we're essentially not able to process it fully. And the, the trauma, meaning the sensations, the image, the sounds, um, the, all the feelings gets stuck in our body. And so that is what I mean when I say trauma in terms of like in a very broad sense. Um, I think it's, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just, so, so it's basically a, a physiological response to an overwhelming yes. stimulus. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that's exactly right. Um, and, and what I would want to maybe add is that there's also, you know, in the world that I work in, we often talk about big T trauma and then little T trauma and big T trauma is, you know, sort of known as post-traumatic stress disorder. And we hear about that a lot. You know, that's what we hear often with like veterans or someone who's had, you know, sort of a life threatening experience, things like that. Um, and then there's little T trauma and, and, I, and this is where I think understanding it on a physiological level really matters. And, and little T trauma is really anything that feels disturbing and we haven't fully processed. So, you know, that could be like a job loss. That could be the death of someone that could be even a betrayal of a friend. Um, you know, in, for Christians, I think that could be some of the the wounding of things that are going on in our church and our culture. Um, so there's a, there's a lot that falls under little T trauma. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. I think that's so important because I think as I think about my own life, I think I have lots of little T traumas and I just Mm. keep marching right along as if I don't have time to deal with them, you know? Right. So, but Mm. if it's a physiological response, then mm-hmm. even if I don't want to deal with it, it's like my body wants to deal with it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so that's so important. And I know this has become a popular book. You've probably heard of it, but The Body Keeps the oh, Score yeah. by yeah. Bessel van der Kolk. But honestly, like, like even just the title, like the body literally keeps yeah. the score. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can pretend all you want, you know, your our prefrontal cortex, which is like our sort of the the most advanced mature part of our brain could can want to move on mm-hmm. <laughs> and the rest of our body's like nope can't do it we're not there yet um and so it really can cause a lot of distress for folks when we have a, a lot of little t traumas that have gone unaddressed hmm. um gosh th- this is so fascinating because so over the weekend, I would have, I had sort of what I would say a, a, a medium T trauma. <laughs> it, was, it was bigger than <laughs> little. Fair. Yep. Yep. Bigger than little. And so, you know, I got home and as I was processing it, processing it with my wife, Mary, uh, and then um, I, I was about to go out for a run and she goes, honey, um, I'm, I'm saying this to you because I love you. She said, your amygdala is all firing, right? It's firing so hard Mm. right now. And so, Mm. and the temptation for you is to be, to go out on that run and just think about it and be in your mind the whole time. Mm. She goes, I want to invite you to, as you're running, just be conscious of your legs on the pavement, be conscious of your Mm. breathing, be conscious of your your feet, your foot strikes. Mm -hmm. And that was, I'm so glad she said that because I really needed to be conscious of that. Otherwise I would have been completely mm. in my mind and not mm. sort of like, you know, re-centering down. She yeah. even said, Andy, like she said, I, I really think we heal from the bottom up, like, you know, from the feet mm. up to the mind, you know? So anyway, mm. that, that's I'm, I'm just, I'm just underlining and yeah, saying yes. To yeah. Well, saying. she sounds really wise and I think that's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, what you're, what you guys are almost, you know, kind of talking about is really living and being in our body and, and being mindful. And, and, and she's right. Like that is a bottom up processing, um, that can happen in terms of when we are present in our body. Um, it basically allows our body to do the processing it needs to do. 
um, it taps into something called the adaptive information processing systems. And I won't go really far into that, but that's just like a basic theory behind trauma processing. And there are things we can do that actually help us before things get stuck in our body for years so that it can sort of, we can be more resilient. So I think that's what I would just want to underscore is that that's a great practice to when we feel really overwhelmed, we don't necessarily need to barrel into it, mm-hmm. but more actually become more present in our bodies. Okay, we're going to talk more about that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, no, that, that's a lot. No, no, we're going to talk more about that because um, I, I, I think uh, I, I'll just speak for me. I want to, I want to tackle everything full barrel, you know. Like, so I want to tackle mm. recovery full barrel. Um, but there's a gentleness that I hear from you that's so important. There's a patience. Huh. There's a you know because you can't. Your body needs to huh. needs to go at its own its own speed, and 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 the mind um, wants to control it, but but yeah. probably ends up hijacking. Uh, it. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm writing yeah. down. Ask more about gentleness. <laughs> um, but can you <laughs> can you tell us about your own experience as a trauma survivor? Because you're you're a therapist, um, but you're also a trauma survivor. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And I, gosh, I think this is for me such an important part of who I am. Not because it's like my full identity, but um, you know, in my own journey, it has become woven into the fabric of of my life in a really important way. Um, so my experience is that I grew up um, with with what I would call a good amount of developmental or attachment trauma. And, you know, the basics of that are that my, you know, my mom struggled with, uh, with alcoholism and her own trauma. And my dad has had a lot of mental health issues he's never chosen to address. And so the mixture of those things at times were quite toxic, um, in, in my family growing up. And so I have four siblings and, and I try to be really gentle with how I tell the story because there are so many other folks who are involved, but, you know, kind of like that idea of what I was talking about with trauma earlier is that my experience growing up is that I was overwhelmed physiologically with the anxiety and stress from the environment that I lived in, um, you know, there's, there's a really important study that Kaiser did back in the 90s that talks about adverse childhood experiences. And what they're basically pinpointing is something called toxic stress. Hmm. And that is, you know, there are lots of different ways people can experience toxic stress. But when kiddos with brains that are not fully developed experience toxic stress, it is it essentially acts the same way as any other type of, of trauma, because it's all about feeling like the people that you depend on the most, the things that make us feel safe are not safe. Mm. And so for me, my journey is that I, I have, I have lived with that and been in recovery, um, from that for, I'd say a little over 10 years. Um, but it's, it's really quite a journey, you know, and one that I still, um, I still work through things with that. You know, I often tell people I am not finished. Like I am a, I am in process too. And so, you know, we, we chatted earlier just about the fact that I think that can be really important for people to hear. I often underscore how important process is because, um, Jesus, he often, um, you know, sort of 
pointed to this idea of process. And I think that gives me a lot of hope for my own journey too. Oh man. Thanks for that. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, um, and again, I think it, that, that subverts sort of the dualistic mind, which, which wants to think of things as broken or fixed, you know, Mm, whole or, or discarded, um, uh, ready or not ready. Hmm. But I hear you saying it's really important to keep remembering the journey, the process, the, the back and forth, the, you know, the, the spectrum, the, you know, you're going to move down the dial maybe a little ways in a certain season. And then another season you might get triggered and boy, you know, like have a major setback. Right. Um, Uh okay. So, um, I know in my experience with trauma, I can get triggered by any number of things. I can get triggered by a certain, like with spiritual trauma that I have, I, I can even get tr- triggered by a certain cadence of, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. a, a certain way a certain preachers preach. I, all of a sudden it's not, mm-hmm. it's no longer a preacher up there. It's like my mm-hmm. entire childhood. So um, <laughs> when you get, yeah. when you get triggered, first of all, what's happening? And second of all, mm-hmm. what can we do? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, well, so when we are triggered, it essentially means that um, we, we are experiencing that physiological response in the present to a past event. Um, and so we are experiencing it um, as though, to some extent, it's, it's happening in the now, not right. in the past. Right. That's a really important part of trauma is that it doesn't get stored in our body and our brain in the same way as normal memories. Um, it was once explained to me like a normal memory gets stored in our brain, like a picture that you can look at, but trauma is stored in almost like it's a movie, (laughs) like a, like a surround sound movie with smells and feelings and all like, it's like you're in it, you know? And so they're, they're different. They're not Mm -hmm. the same. Um, so the triggering is essentially your body is in a hypervigilant, um, either a hypervigilant mode or the other response to that could be something where we actually, it feels so overwhelming that we do something called dissociate. And that is when we shut down. Like it's, um, it's sort of like you're there, but you're not there. So I think this idea of dissociation, you know, it's sort of at the center of trauma And, you know, on a practical level, something that we can all do if we get triggered, whether, you know, whether we have, no matter how our, our triggered response is showing itself, is basically doing things that help us stay in our body. So, you know, that's why I really loved what you talked about, what you were doing when you were running in terms of, you know, focusing on what your body was feeling and experiencing. Um, That's a way that we're essentially staying um, therapists call this being grounded or staying grounded in a situation. And so, you know, a a really practical tool to do that is, you know, to even just name, you know, an example would be like, name five things you can see, name a four things you can hear, name three things you can touch, name two things you can smell, you know? So anything that brings you back to your body is really helpful. I've even seen, well, I've seen my wife, like, if she's all of a sudden maybe feeling some anxiety, she'll she'll take uh, her fingers, like her right finger, and she'll tap her left arm, 
and then she'll take mm. her left finger and tap her right arm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, I think on a, a broad level, what you're trying, um, what I, what I'm suspecting she's trying to do is integrate the different hemispheres of her brain. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, left, right hemispheres have different processing functions, and typically. Um, trauma is more likely to be stored in the right hemisphere of our brain. And so it's sort of like a a part of any type of good trauma therapy is sort of essentially trying to help your brain become more integrated. Like the parts that have experienced trauma begin to talk to our resourced parts, like the parts that have strengths and know helpful things and are loving when they sort of get connected by neural pathways that are created to the parts that are wounded, that is what integration is, um, mm-hmm. in the brain, you know? So yeah, I mean, I think, you know, anything that combines and integrates and brings our brain more together is helpful. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's so good. Um, okay. So I, Audie, I want to ask you about, uh, spiritual trauma versus physical trauma, because hmm. like, let's say, you know, someone has a car accident and that's a real obvious, and, and they have whiplash and they yep. need to go to PT to get that, you know, to start the recovery process. That is long and lengthy and frustrating, but it seems pretty clear cut. Like this is what happened. Mm. I can explain mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. But I've talked to people that maybe are coming out of w- wounding church systems or family systems. And it's mm. almost like as they explain their experience, it's so clear to me that they've been through significant trauma, mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. described it. Um, mm-hmm. But then, but but I but I also find that I have to sort of tell them, like, hey, th- like what mm. you experienced, that's trauma, and 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 mm. it's like they they, they go what? Um, <laughs> so how do you, as a therapist, how do you help people begin to? name the trauma like someone could name it in a car accident, but when it Hmm. has happened over time and when it's so normalized for them that they don't even know that it was trauma? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. I think, you know, the journey, just to be very honest, the journey is going to look so different for every person, like based off of a person's um, support and even their internal resources, they might be at a different spot than another person. Um, one person who has people around them who are validating their journey all along might be more quick to understand that what they experienced is trauma hmm. versus a person who has always heard, suck it up. Yeah. Um, there's no room for feelings here. Yeah. Um, you know, like strength means a stiff upper lip or whatever. They are going to be more, in my experience, what I have seen is people shame themselves into not believing their experience is valid. Hmm. And one of the things that's really hard about that is that that shame keeps us stuck. Yeah. It sort of keeps us from, from the processing we really need to do to be able to sort of move that experience through, like physiologically move it through our body, you know, sort of metabolize the pain. Um, and so that it can become and sort of, so our brain can integrate. 
And so that the, the healthy parts can talk to the wounded parts and help them heal. And so all that to say in my, in my work as a therapist, a lot of times it starts, the work can start really small, which can sort of feel inconsequential. But when a person like, let's just say a person has an experience where they grew up in a really um, toxic family system and then they go into a toxic sort of church system as yeah. well. Yeah. They are going to be especially prone to invalidating their own experience mm-hmm. and shaming themselves. Mm-hmm. And so in a therapeutic setting, what that might look like is really the relationship with the therapist matters so much because at its heart, at its core, what we're doing is creating a corrective emotional experience where they are seen and they are, they are exactly the right amount. They are not too much. They are not too little. They're just loved where they are. And at it, you know, we, we just need that from an attachment perspective, meaning we are created for connection. And when we haven't had those good enough connections, um, that literally changes the way our brain is wired. So oftentimes that work starts kind of, um, small and as trust is built, it's like beginning to just introduce, you know, this, some of these concepts that we've already been talking about, but talking about them in context of a person's life. And helping them begin to get in touch with what their body is maybe telling them. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen so many people tell a story to me and they're weeping. Hmm. And I say, you know, I noticed that you're having a feeling. What's that about? And they say, oh, I I actually don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. And what a lot of times that's revealing is that our body and our brain um, are out of sync. You know, it's like our, our body hasn't um, ca- caught up with where our brain is and it's maybe still really hurting and holding a lot of pain and our brain's like, Oh, I'm fine. Or parts of our brain might be, you know? Um, and so all that to say, I think that's why, you know, you brought up this idea of gentleness earlier. And, and to me, one of the core things about a good, um, especially for this type of work is someone who knows how to, how to do the dance with their client of, of that gentleness and also being able to ask some questions, but also leading us back to kindness, mm-hmm. leading us back to, in a way, love. Like, w- what does it look like to be loving to myself in this painful place? Wow. Thank you for that. Uh, <clears throat> I, in my experience, both with my own, my own trauma, but also as a pastor, I think that's one of the most that's one of the most helpful okay. pieces of advice that I think we can give people is to be gentle. And so now I want to ask, how do you help people to begin to trust their body again to to tell them what's dangerous, what's safe? Because I think that's that's that seems so important. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for sure, you know, because I. I'm a therapist, so I have to continue to plug this, but good trauma-informed therapy, I think, is certainly one avenue to that. Um, but beyond that, I think there are so many practices, like I think yoga is is a great practice in terms of learning to be with our bodies and, and to sort of um, learn how to um, 
sort of inhabit that space which is which is oftentimes what you do in therapy as well and so they sort of can work with each other um i think other things that really you know it's even things um i don't know if you've heard this idea but like intuitive eating have you ever heard of that before oh uh, maybe maybe but 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 explain it yeah i mean and this is sort of touches on other ideas too but intuitive eating is is a idea that comes often out of for folks who um, have had really rigid, um, sometimes like eating disorders or disordered eating or, um, you know, binging, th- things like that, where what begins to happen is that because food has been, um, you know, sort of there's like been laws around it and there's all this rigidity and oftentimes trauma that dis- um, intuitive eating is a way of like beginning to listen to what we actually our body actually wants to eat. And so, you know, what's so cool about all this stuff is that it's sort of like everything sort of intersects to some extent. And so a great mindfulness practice is just to, you know, pick something that actually sounds good to eat and then really be fully present eating it. Like taste the food, you know, or if it's a glass of wine, like, like smell it and taste it and savor it, you know, and then pay attention to when you're full. (laughs) <laughs> like when are you actually full and and not because you paid money for the food like you don't have to eat it you know yeah. and so it is sort of um i think of it in a way it's like parenting you know it's it's parenting ourselves and saying um in in a loving way and asking what is it that you actually need and so trusting our body is an element of that um and, and I'm not going to, I don't want to make it sound like it's quick work. You know, I think the more complex the trauma that we've been through, the more um, of a journey it can be to getting to the point that we can really feel like we can um, inhabit and trust our body. Yeah. But I think it's really, really worth it to do the work, like just exceptionally and profoundly worth it, even if the, the work is slow. Um but so, you know, oftentimes it looks like in, enjoying our life and actually giving ourselves permission to do it and to be fully present in it um, in a way, in a broad strokes, things, it, like those things kind of come together like that. Yeah, man, that's so good. Well, you've already kind of turned the corner, but I, but I want to ask, how can we be safe places? You know, we who are, those of us who aren't mm. therapists, those of us who aren't trained, Mm-hmm. But we know, you know, people that we love are in various stages of their own trauma recovery. How can we yeah. be safe places for them uh, as they go through their recovery? Mm. Yeah. And I love that you're asking this question because it, it's an important one. Um, I think the number one thing that um, that I that I tend to say is that we have to be doing our own work. And what that means is we have to be in touch with our own wounding and our own triggers um, so that we have a sense of, A, compassion, but B, our own limits, too. Um, I think it's really important. And I'm sure I know you're a pastor and I, I'm, I know that you probably connect with people in so many different places. And, and so knowing our limits matters and saying like, I can, I can hold space for this person to a certain extent, but, but in this, like 
as we get to X issue, like this is sort of out of my league, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think there's a certain humility that comes with saying like, I want to be there for you and love you. And now I, I, I don't know where to go with this. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and so here are some great resources. Um, and that doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to hold space. Like we need both. Um, we need connection, even as people are still seeing their therapist, right? Like sometimes people need a place to come back and be like, I did something so hard in therapy today. And let me tell you about it, you know? And, and so the more that we develop, you know, sort of our own, um, self-compassion, I think we are able to continue to develop our compassion, Um, and I think that fits in so well with when Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of this idea that we, we can't, we can only love people as well as we are loving ourselves. And so that's, that's why I think I'm such a proponent of gentleness and self-compassion, um, and, and continuing to do our work because as we do that, we sort of have more space for people and their pain too. Um, it, it's just one of those things. I think that's how God made us. It's like, you know, Jesus put that hidden commandment in there and it's like, it's as a therapist, I just love it. It's, there's so much wisdom, um, just in that little gem that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah, man. Okay. So another question that's less about how can we be safe places, but a little bit more back to what if we ourselves, uh, discover Mm. that we've, um, that we're working through trauma. I've met people who are so reticent to talk about anything, uh, you know, that's hmm. like, you have to sort of open them up. Uh, but I've also met people who I've, I've watched like they, they talk about their really serious stuff in environments mm. that like, you know, like people like maybe big groups or, and people just aren't, aren't able to address them. So then people, Mm -hmm. people are, are trying to share their stuff, but they end up Mm. getting further wounded because they're sharing it in an environment where like there's almost no way that people are going to handle it well. Um, so can, can you talk about that? Like boundary, is that a boundary Mm -hmm. issue or Mm -hmm. what is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a that is a really good point and I think one that is is honestly quite tricky, right? Cuz we yeah. can't keep people from necessarily sharing, but I think I think what we can do um is be really intentional at the beginning of groups um or in certain environments to say um you know, we let's be mindful of um you know, we want, we want you to be thinking about what does it look like to build up trust in this group? And so it's a good opportunity to do some education around, um, you know, like if someone, if you just met someone, probably best not to share your deepest trauma with them because you haven't built up trust. So it's like, I think in group settings and stuff, it's a great place to say, you know, as we continue to get to know each other, um, let's, let's practice what it looks like to build trust and not, um, you know, jump into the deep end before we feel supported by the group or, you know, something that sort of an educational piece that I think sometimes bridges those gaps. Um, 
and also I think it like, let's just be honest, those things are still going to happen and it's tricky. And sometimes I think it's okay for someone, you know, hopefully to some extent, a trauma informed leader, not to say that they're a therapist, but they just know what trauma is and they know how it works to be able to say, Hey man, I just thank you so much for what you shared. And that is, that matters so much and it's valid. And, you know, I know people, seemed like they didn't know what quite to say. And I know for me, I've shared like that things like that in the past. And, and what I've learned is that sometimes people don't always know how to respond, Mm -hmm. but I just want you to know that I hear you and I love you. And, um, you know, there may be some other resources that might be good to do alongside this, you know? And so that then people continue to feel sort of someone has seen you, you know, someone has touched on that. So does that kind of answer, yeah. does that feel like that answers that? Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I think you answered it well. It's like, you're not going to be able to stop, you know, you, you can't create a hundred percent safe environment when we're dealing with groups. Cause we, you know, human beings, but I like the idea of yeah. going back. Like if you can sense, okay, someone just opened up and then kind of got shut down cause someone tried to fix it or someone tried to answer too quickly mm-hmm. or someone, you know, like doubled down and said, well, you know, essentially like, well, that's nothing I, I experienced, you know, like in, in my <laughs> oh, trauma, yes. you know, oh. have you ever, yeah, I mean, certainly you've seen that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I have, yes. you know, it's almost like a trauma, like who, who, who can share, mm. who, who, who can top the story with a, with a deeper trauma. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then related to that, uh, gosh, social media is such a mixed <laughs> bag, right? But mm. I do notice sometimes people seem to post like some things on Facebook or especially Facebook that feel mm-hmm. just way too vulnerable, like way, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 but maybe there's a sense of, Hey, I have to tell somebody, so I'm going to put it on, on my wall here and then see what responses that I get. What yeah. would you say? Like, talk to me about is that okay? Is that not okay? Are there, are there benefits to that? Is it always dangerous to put that kind of thing mm. on Facebook? Talk about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So like, let's say I had a client come in and they said, Hey, you know, this thing happened. Um, maybe they, that person and I haven't even talked about it. And I wrote it on, I put it on my wall and then nobody responded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is, has been just I've just been hurt and triggered all week because of that. You know, I think where I might want to lead them to, if we can, is to to be able to say, you know, what does it look like? Like, depending on if that person is a Christian or not, and I work with both. Um, but one idea that I I actually really appreciate from from Jesus is when he says, you know, don't don't take your pearls and throw them to pigs. <laughs> and not to say everybody on social media is pigs, right? Like no offense to everybody. But um but it, there is this idea that when we have something that's precious, let's like really guard it. Mm-hmm. You know, like this thing it, it really matters. And so, I don't know about you, but for me on social media, I there are people that like are my nearest and dearest. And then there are people who I've never met in real life. Yeah. Um, who I've, it's a very distant who I wouldn't necessarily even, um, yeah, I just know very, like not very much at all. And so, you know, I, I might want to help them think through, like if you were sitting at a table, if we had everyone on, on social media at a table, would you want to tell everyone this thing that 
is really disturbing and hard for you? Are you, does that feel, does that feel safe? Does that feel comfortable? Um, and a lot of the time I think people would probably get to the point where they say, no, it it doesn't, you know, that doesn't like, I wouldn't want to tell that to them. And then, you know, so to maybe be able to, to have a jumping off point of, I think it's really normal to want to feel seen and heard. And that's, that's a good and okay thing. And yet social media is a tricky tool, you know, I mean, not to mention just even the algorithms that go into what people are shown, you know, I mean, the things that get the most attention are usually hot button political issues. Mm -hmm. So unless you're posting about that, you're post is not necessarily going to be even seen by the people you want to be seeing it. So I guess the thing I just would want to encourage folks to think about in general on social media, this is actually Brene Brown talked about this a couple years ago. I think she was on a Liz Gilbert podcast and I think it was just, it's, it's just a piece of solid gold. She says she doesn't put things online unless she's processed it with the close people in her life already. Yeah. And personally, as a therapist, that's actually my, that's, that's the way that I do things too. Like, unless, like, I, I don't put things that I've just, um, have, have newly become an issue mm-hmm. <laughs> online mm-hmm. unless they've already been discussed and to some extent processed with, with people in my life. And so I, I think that's not a bad policy for most people. Um, you know, it, it, it puts in a bit of safety to say, before we are willing to throw this thing out into the world, um, have people, the, the people who make you feel safe, have they had an opportunity to hear it? Um, and so I understand that not all of us are in a place where we, we have um, the connections that we wish that we did. Um, but it may just be a good place to say, well, you know, maybe start with a private message to someone that you do feel connected to and see if you could if it, if it's possible to, to connect, to see them offline, mm-hmm. um, would be another great way to do it. But in general, I find that most people will have a deeper wounding if they take, if they take that approach. Yeah. Well, and thanks for reading Do you have the, any thoughts on that? It, it, well, I, I, I would agree with honestly everything you said. And, and I think, um, So I, my latest theory on what the internet has done <laughs> is essentially it, it, it has taken our complex, pluralistic uh, world and has turned it back into a small village where we can read mm. every, we can hear every, we can eavesdrop on everybody's conversations. We hear all the gossip on everybody. Uh, but instead of like the way it used to be, the small village really was, you know, maybe 50 to 70 people that you didn't encounter all that different, all that many different opinions or Mm -hmm. thoughts. And there was a trust built up. Even if you didn't like a certain person in that small village, you at least knew their family, you Hmm. knew where they lived, you knew Mm -hmm. in general, you were in general, you were safe. But Mm -hmm. I think the internet really in social media, especially has has put proximity like has put us into such close proximity to mm. everybody with with so many different viewpoints and but we just and and we are so we don't have the maturity to handle the complexity and so mm. you know we end up interacting with such fear uh and so yeah. i think when we put something out it isn't 
like that's vulnerable, um, we're not putting it out into the safe space of a co- coffee with a friend. Absolutely, It's a minefield. Mm-hmm. It's like there's so much <laughs> misunderstanding. And so mm. I, I would not go so far as to say that social media is not helpful ever or not useful ever. But mm-hmm. I do think um, it it is feeding into a loneliness um, and ending. I, I would also say an anxiety that it, it, it raises our anxiety in ways that we're mm-hmm. not sure how to deal with. And we're looking for dopamine, I think, when we when we go to the internet and we, you know, for likes mm-hmm. and, and comments. And and I think we walk away with um, with anxiety. And so it's this yeah. double bind, you know, so. Well, yeah. and there's studies that show, I think that the, the studies show that like, um, if you go to the internet and you're like in a neutral place mood wise, it's not necessarily going to raise your mood. But if you go to the internet or social media with like feeling anxious or depressed, um, we tend to feel more anxious or more depressed. And, you know, a lot of times that's because we sort of get a confirmation bias, right? So it's like, we see the things that make us feel more depressed. We, we identify with the things that make us feel more anxious. And so I agree. I mean, I think there's some great things about the internet and, um, I think we have to recognize that. I mean, it's the way that it's um, rewiring our brain mm-hmm. in terms of needing to get information quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and getting the dopamine hits. Um, it matters. It really, it truly does. Um, and so I think it's something, if we can mindfully interact with the internet and, and social media, I think there's a lot of good that can come from it. But I think if not, it is, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, there's a, there's some tricky stuff that's waiting to happen basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Andy, we are out of time. Um, but I want to, so you are working on a book, uh, and when that bad boy comes out, I'm going to have you back on (laughs) to talk about it because, um, that's going to be fun. That's going to, I assume, thank you. I assume this is the topic, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, I kind of come at, um, a lot of, issues from basically a trauma informed perspective. And, and it's a little bit of my own memoir, um, in terms of my story Mm -hmm. and integrating that with, you know, sort of spiritual formation. And then what does that look like to integrate it with, with tools that can really move us towards healing? Mm. Gosh, that's so good. Well, when it does come out, I will, I will brag on it. I will spread it. I will talk about it. We'll have you back on. Cause no, cause I think this is so important. I just think this is, mm. this is so important. Uh, and it's, you know, even in the Christian world, um, we're living in 2018, but we never, th- th- this kind of stuff should be talked about in the church because you know, we're sort mm-hmm. of assuming that people just, if we just learn more stuff about God, the Bible, Jesus, morality, then we'll start doing it better and and Mm. more. And I I just think without a holistic understanding of um, how our bodies are at play, even as we interact with, you know, our families and and even at church and all this kind of stuff, um, I just feel like we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure because the mind 
is is just a terrible it's a terrible manager you know it just when when that's all we think like like if if our mind is the only thing at play hmm. we are yeah. going to be just yeah. running in 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 loops and circles and confirmation bias and self-harm and shame mm-hmm. and you know and and so yep. i i do i think your work is critical um as we hmm. even try to move forward into a new understanding of mm. of each other of the world um in in this new reformation or whatever it is that's that's, mm. that's clearly happening I, th- I think this is a key this is yeah. a key understanding so um mm. well thank you so much for having me on and I'm super grateful for you and the work you're doing and yeah i'll come back anytime <laughs> cool well uh i'm gonna put on the show notes uh ways to get in touch with Andi and her work. There's some articles that she's written. and But a- anything else you'd like to say about that before we sign off about ways that people can get in touch with you? Um, yeah, one of my uh, main main things is my website. It's called bravelyimperfect.com. And then I'm most active on Instagram, at Andi Kolber. And then also on, twi- on Twitter, at Andi Kolber. Okay. Uh, I will put both all those on the show notes, everybody. So go check that out. Stay in tune and in touch with um, Andy Kolber and her book, which will be coming out in the next year or two. We hope uh, we're both in, in this in this stage <laughs> where we're both putting out proposals. So it's this, you know, hurry up and wait and just cross mm-hmm. our fingers. And so, um, yeah, that's a fun and not fun process, but, uh, (laughs) we can do it because we have to put this good work in the world. Uh, so thank you so much, Andy. And, uh, I, I end, uh, the show, um, the show, is it a show? Um, (laughs) I think so. I I end my podcast with a little mantra that, that I've done since the beginning. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's this thing that, that sort of talks about, um, remembering or even reclaiming what's holy about our humanity, so that we can sort of climb out of the dualism of, you know, mind is yeah. good and body's bad and all that stuff. So yep. uh, we're dust and breath. We're, mm. uh, yeah, we're limited and limitless. We're human and holy and we're in it together. So mm. um, thank you so much, Andy. It's been so fun to to pick your brain and to hear your wisdom. I can't wait uh, mm. to hear more uh, as you keep doing your good work in the world. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening, friends. If you love this good word, there really are two ways that you can show the love. Uh, One is by sharing this good word. If you have a favorite episode, go ahead and email that to a friend. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. That really helps spread the word. Also, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe to this good word. That really helps. You can leave a rating as well. So uh, have a very beautiful day, my friends, and we'll see you next week.